How to become an aggressive rider and why should you be doing it? Well, that may sound a little strange at this point, but being an aggressive rider could take your skills to the next level, as long as you fully understand what is meant by becoming an aggressive rider. Today on Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive rider skills program, we have world-renowned adventure and rider trainer Chris Birch here to talk about aggressive riding. And he's got some great information for us. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manicom. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Payne. Bill Bragoo. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Sean Thomas. And this is Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. Cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools to improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Now, Chris Birch is a full-time riding coach. He's been a KTM ambassador since 2007. He's had a super successful racing career, including winning the New Zealand National Enduro Championship eight times. He's successfully competed and stood on the podium at Erzberg, Red Bull, Last Man Standing, Hell's Gate, the ISDE, WEC, and the EEC, and the Dakar. In the Dakar, coming in 27th overall and winning second place in the rookie class back in 2012. Chris teaches around the world, including the U.S. and Canada. In fact, he's doing a tour right now in the U.S. in the summer of 2022, and he's developed a successful video teaching program, which is unlike anything I've seen, to help riders everywhere in the world, no matter where you are, as long as you can get internet to ride better. Chris, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Have you had a a busy winter? Because you're in your winter now. Uh, I have had a wonderful winter. I completely skipped it. (laughs) Uh, And we've been in in Europe for the last four months. Uh, I've come back to New Zealand for 10 days of winter and now I'm checking out again tomorrow to America for two months. So, so far, all seven days of winter has been quite tolerable. And now you're about to go to America. What are you doing there? Uh, We're doing a whole bunch of of riding schools, uh, mainly on the adventure bikes um, in uh, three different states. And we've got the KTM uh, Rider Rally in Idaho in the middle. So that'll be a nice break from the schools and a, and a good fun ride. Oh, nice. So, so this is coming up. How, how far out are you about to leave on this? So what are the dates? Like how far out? Uh, well, I'm leaving in four hours. So <laughs> yeah, we're, we're good to go. Um, so our first schools start uh, at, at this weekend. Um, and then uh, I I'm a bit disorganized. Sorry. When is the KTM Rider Rally? It's in the third week of September. Mm, okay. So there's some dates that people yeah. could get onto. Where do they, they go to the, your website for that? Uh, so for the riding schools, uh, you would want to go to say no to slow.nz and you'll need to want to get onto those pretty darn quickly. Uh, the ones we have space on are in Georgia and unfortunately everything else is sold out. Ah, okay. All right. That's good. I'll put a link in the show notes as well to that. that that's really it's a good opportunity for somebody who wants to get in and ride with you. That would be very cool. Wow. That's great. Yeah. So very exciting. So uh, it's, it's great that I'm talking to you just before you get on the plane. I always love that. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're in the midpoint. So say no to slow. That That is your logo, your, your slogan rather. What we're talking about today is how to become an aggressive rider and, and basically why you should. So let's talk about that first. Let's, let's talk about the aggressive rider. First of all, why would you want to be an aggressive rider? Um, well, there's many reasons. Uh, for, for me personally, aggressive doesn't feel like the best word. You know, we're not talking about going around shouting at people or carving people up or, you know, road raging. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's riding with more purpose, more, more intention, uh, you know, more switched on, you know, kind of being the master of your own destiny a bit more. So that's, uh, yeah, that aggressive riding, you know, it brings focus and it allows you kind of to ride at your best. And generally, like if you imagine 
from a personal level, you think, right, I'm going to ride this trail really aggressively. I'm going to ride this bit of road really aggressively. The first thing you would do is concentrate much more. You'd, you know, you'd mentally, you'd bring your A game. And I think uh, that's kind of what we're, I assume what you're talking about when we talk about riding aggressively. Yeah. So we're, we're not talking about sort of going beyond your skill level. What we're talking about is being strong with your skills then. Yeah. Doing, riding your best. Right. Yeah. Right. Riding. So do you have an example for yourself of, of when you uh, maybe weren't an aggressive rider and it didn't work and then maybe when you were and it paid off? Yeah. So every racer will tell you a story about when they were trying to ride carefully, you'll be careful and uh, had a really massive crash. Um, it's, it's quite a common thing that happens. You know, oh, I'm not really feeling it today. I'll just back it back down a bit. And you, as you do that, you mentally back down the effort as well. And especially with, you know, with a race bike or something, your suspension doesn't work quite the way that it's used to. Um, you know, you're, you're not hitting things as hard as you normally would. The bike's not responding the way that it normally would. You don't have the same amount of momentum behind you and you get caught out. And it's a, it's a bit of an in-joke amongst a lot of off-road racers, you know, that, that being careful can be really dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and there's many, many times where you're kind of, oh, I'm not really too sure. I'll just, I'll just take it easy through here and ping, you know. <laughs> you said not feeling it. I, I think, because I've mentioned this before, there's some days where you, where you go out to ride, at least for me, and a lot of people I've talked to, where you, the day doesn't click. Where That's what you're talking mm. about, you're not feeling it. What do you do with that? It's a really difficult skill to master. Um, it's about having that sort of self-awareness and almost like self-coaching to kind of figure out, right, today it's not going good. What am I doing wrong? How do I turn this around? So all through my, my racing career, um, I kind of did best in the multi-day races. So events like Roof of Africa, Red Bull Romaniacs, you know, the, the week-long sort of races. And... Obviously, in those events, they're so long. You have your ups and your downs, uh, your, your peaks and your troughs in terms of energy and, and, and your vibe and how you're feeling. And when it's not going right, it takes a lot of self-analysis to turn that around. Like, what are you actually doing wrong? So for me, I know for myself, if I'm having a bad day on my bike, it's almost always vision-related or I'm holding on too tight through my arms or I'm, a big habit I have is forgetting to breathe properly. So I'll just run through that checklist on my head. Okay, where's my vision? Okay, vision's good. Arms are relaxed. Focus on the breathing. And sort of that mentally allows me to sort of turn those days around. That'll be different for every person. Every every rider that we work with has their different sort of checklist. But uh, especially for the guys we're training up to kind of do these multi-day rides, like being able to work through the process of, of getting, of turning around a bad day is very, very important. Because imagine the other side of it is, you know, the mental side of it. I'm having a bad day. Oh, I'm riding bad. Oh, this is not working for me. Oh, yeah. You end up being like the master of your own destiny. Exactly. This big downward spiral. And you end up actually looking for things to go wrong. Like, oh, that's a big slippery tree. I bet my tire slides off that. Yeah, it did. Bang. Oh, I was (laughs) right. I am riding bad today. You know, it's it's very easy to disappear down the the rabbit's hole of, uh, of being hard on yourself and... Fulfilling your own destiny. How do you figure that out? How did you find out that, it, that your vision was one of the first things to be adjusted or, or your grip or your breathing? I think a, a big benefit for me is, you know, it's what I do for other people for a job. So, you know, kind of, I'm normally standing on the outside looking at this person going, no, 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 what's this guy up to? It's not working for him. He's not gelling. You can see there's no flow. There's no good feeling. What's this guy doing? So just taking that same critical analysis and turning it around on myself. Well, how, how would the average rider do it? I mean, those days where, where I get on the bike and um, it'll happen like immediately. I mean, I get on the bike and I sort of ride out and maybe, I, maybe I'm self-professing there at that point, you know, like I'm predicting my future, like, cause you just said that about how you think that, oh, I'm riding terrible and this will go wrong and that'll go wrong. I might be doing that now that you mentioned it, but I mean, how do I figure that out myself without having a coach? Uh, it's quite a difficult one for sure. I'm looking to do you out of a job here, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's protected IP, that one, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, again, it's just that self-analysis. Like, right, you know, you, you get, maybe you, you get on your bike and you goof a corner. Okay, right, slow down. Maybe even go, stop, turn around, go back. Right, what did I actually do wrong here? Why did this corner go wrong? Did I break too late? 
Was my body position wrong? Was my vision wrong? What did I actually do wrong here? And you, you know, the whole adage that you've got to, you've got to learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. You have to take the time to learn from your mistakes and you have to be okay with the fact that it might take you quite a while to figure out the mistake and, and to learn from that. Uh, one of the things we have with uh, with teaching kids is uh, if they drop the bike, I have a you know a, a light crash. Obviously, not if they hurt something, but a, a small crash. Right, dude, turn your turn your fuel off. Leave your bike lying on the ground. We're not going to pick it up until we figured out what on earth happened here. Right. And you, you know, you go back and do like a full like crime scene investigation. Like, okay, look, there's that big skid mark where you wash your front wheel. Why did your front wheel wash? Oh, well, it was a little bit off camber there, and you put your wheel your tire on the wrong place. And maybe your head wasn't in quite the right place. And okay, now we've learned from this mistake. We've learned from this problem, and we can we can move forwards. So that's kind of the more extreme end of it. Probably you know not what's happening too much on the adventure bike, but just taking that sort of self analysis and that mental step back and go right. What am I actually doing here? What's going wrong? How am I going to improve that? Right, and this this is what what I do when I make a mistake here. I always figure that it's not the bike because I know that. Well, for instance, if you were riding my bike, it wouldn't have happened. So I've got to sort of look at that and break that down and think, okay, where did I go wrong? Of course, this might be a spot where you want to get a coach, maybe go to a riding school or whatever, and, and ask because you probably get a lot faster there than trying to figure it out yourself. I mean, really, unless you have a real good understanding of it, you may not be able to figure it out on your own. Yeah, it's 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 not the easiest thing at times, and there's probably going to be many situations where you just kind of oh, I don't know, <laughs> but there's always going to be some level of learning and understanding improvement uh, from taking that time to even just try and investigate a little. Maybe you don't get the whole answer, but you're going to pick up on small parts every time. I'm sure. But the point is, it's not the bike. Uh, sometimes it is. Really, you can blame the bike. I mean, nine times out of 10, it's you, but you know, occasionally it is right. Like, okay. you know, you know, maybe you came through that corner, your fork wasn't set up properly. Your tire, you hadn't let your tires pressures down, so your tire pressure was too hard and it just let go in that corner when it, when it shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could then turn it back onto yourself and go, yeah, who sets the tire pressure? Who That's sets the fork settings? Say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nine times, you know, you can always turn it back to yourself eventually. Right. But, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Bikes don't generally just spit you off for no good reason mm-hmm. on the whole. It's, yeah. Especially when you're your own mechanic, you're, you're your own setup guy. It's your right. fault. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I was, I was looking for those two stories. Now, now the, the one you sort of said, right. because, you know, you sort of have those, but what about another one? Is there, is there one that you can pick out that you, you know, where you're particularly aggressive, confident, forward, and, and it really paid off? Uh, so the, one that sort of sticks to my mind straight away. Uh, so I, I've just come back from Europe and uh, the last job that I had over there was uh, doing all the photos for the new KTM 890 Adventure R that's coming out. Ooh. Um, and for this photo shoot, they wanted to go like really aggressive, really yeah, hardcore off-road sort of focus. That's where they're kind of pitching this bike. So there's like seven different photographers, art directors, all these guys standing around and me on the bike. Um, go right, you know, dance monkey boy. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I found this big cliff that I could ride down, and I, I got climbed up there, had scoped it out. I'm like, right, okay, yeah, I can do this. And it's it, when the photo comes out, it, it looks sick, it looks really good. Um, but I had to be really, really aggressive, focused, and 100% committed to that. Um, so it was sort of edge up to it, edge it up, edge up to it make sure the front tire connects with exactly the right bit of rock on the way down and make sure my body position is absolutely perfect and a hundred percent commit to that. If I a hundred percent committed to it, it was actually really, really easy to do. I mean, it looked really extreme, but it was actually really quite easy to do. All I was doing was pretty much just falling down a cliff with the brakes off, just letting the bike figure it out. Sounds easy enough. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's really easy as long as you don't freak out and you just do exactly what you need to do. The actual, like, the skill level, the technical skill level of that move was actually quite low, but the commitment was really high. And that's exactly what we're talking about because you just said you don't freak out. So, And that's what we're talking about, being the aggressive right. In other words, if you become timid, you're not going to pull it off. Yeah, yeah. So often when we're, when we're sort of coaching guys and te- working with guys, they're like, oh, 
maybe it's, maybe it's like a hill climb or something. Nothing too too crazy, but there's something that's more towards the end of the, the the top of their of their comfort zone. And as soon as someone says something, ah, oh, I'll just give it a try. I'm like, <laughs> nope. But we are either all in or all out. Like if you don't want to do this with a hundred percent commitment and a hundred percent focus, and we could use that word aggression. If that's not where we're at, let's not do it. Mm. You know, giving it a go or having a try is like real red flags for me, especially when we're doing something a, a bit more challenging. So you have to know in your mind, I can do this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of that, that, uh, that cliff we were riding down on the, on the shiny new bike, there was absolutely no shadow of doubt whatsoever. hundred percent. I can do this. No problem. If I'm in my good position, I get off the brakes, I tag that front rock. I shouldn't say if, when I do all those things, this will work. And for me, you know, like I'm not, I'm not a 20 year old kid anymore. I'm 42. I don't want to get hurt. Mm -hmm. So if it's not a hundred percent focused and I can see it in my head and play it, I mean, yep, this will work. I'll just go and find something else to do. How do you know though? How do you know? I, I mean, you, you I, obviously you have a lot of experience, so you can look at stuff yeah, you've done before. Right. That, but, that is the answer. It is, it's years and years of experience of doing similar stuff and going, yep, this is what works in this scenario. And it's very hard to, to teach experience. You can fast forward it, but uh, yeah, that, that sort of stuff that being able to just see it, understand it and, and execute it is, is an experience game. So each person's going to assess this and, and sort of see something different. You know, the next rider yeah. will come up and go, no, I can't do this. Maybe another rider yep. comes up and says, this is easy peasy, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then you get it with younger guys, you know, younger guys don't have that experience bank to look back on. So they kind of do end up, oh, let's just give it a go. Let's give it a try. And, you know, you're young and you, and you supple and you bounce and you, and you get away with it. But that's kind of gathering all that part of that experience as well. So, you know, mm -hmm. going back to what I was saying before about, um, you know, if, if a customer says, oh, I'll give it a go, that being a red flag, for a young guy, like a teenager, that's like an orange flag. It's like, okay, well, let's just talk <laughs> this through a little bit more uh, because you, you don't have that experience bank to draw on. You, you kind of do have to, you know, suck it and see a bit. The way you're describing it, though, so you, you get up to this hill, the one we just talked about with this 890 Adventure R, and mm -hmm. you know that you can do this and you do it. Yeah. Do you build yeah. any skill with that? build any skill with it like do you learn anything on that hill uh at, i guess at that stage it was like yeah further reinforcement of that, that that process works of just you know look see it figure it out visualize it yep that'll work yep cool it worked nice right. that's that process still works i can still do this happy times <laughs> maybe i'm not as old as i thought it was <laughs> <laughs> well because what i'm thinking is for the average rider if, we, if we're always riding within our means basically if we don't yeah. like you know if we're not stretching ourselves pushing ourselves a little bit so if we show up to these spots and we think yes i can do it and we do it and no i can't do it i'm going to bypass that one uh, go find my way around or whatever does the, the doing those those ones that we already knew we could do does that make us a better rider or, or do we have to find points where we're pushing ourselves, where we're becoming, where we're aggressive with a little bit of hope? I think if, if you're generally trying to improve, uh, you could turn it like, imagine it's like going to the gym, right? If you only ever put the same amount of plates on, you're only going to get so strong. Sure. Eventually, every now and then you have to chuck another plate on the rack and, and give and try that extra bit harder. But, you're only putting one plate on at a time. You're not going right. Oh, today I might just see what happens when I chuck an, an extra, an extra fifty plates on. And see what well, you know. The rock makes it look easy. I'll give that a try. Right. That's when you get smoked. So it's this, this that little progressive stepping forward, stepping forward, stepping forwards. Not just going. Oh, I've been doing the same thing for six months. Today I might try a thirty foot jump. Makes sense. Well, okay, that, yeah. that that makes perfect sense. Okay, so. How do you become an aggressive rider? How do you change your mindset from being that timid rider to being the rider that looks at it and says, no, I can do this and do it? Yeah. Um, so the big thing is, is making sure that you have all your background technique, your background, uh, your building blocks all there in place to start off with. You don't want to have, you know, you don't want to just go out one day and go, right, I'm going to be more aggressive. So a, a good story to, to back this up was a, a friend of mine that uh, I, he was a client first. He's now become a good friend. And he really, really struggled with sand riding. 
And sand riding is where you need to be really aggressive. So one of the, the lines we give the guys is, with the sand, someone's going to be the boss. It's either the you or the sand. I like that. And the softer the sand is, the, the, you know, the, the bossier it becomes. So you need to, right, I'm going to, you know, be really aggressive here, get into it and show that sand who's boss. So sand was a big problem for Brett. Um, and we spent a lot of time, you know, working on his body positioning, on his bike setup. Uh, on his corner techniques, all these, you know, three or four sessions. And then the last session was one of the most fun days I've ever had in, on, of coaching someone. Showed up, we get our bikes out of the van, we're all ready to go. And it's like, right, what's today's lesson? Today's lesson is to go faster. So like, what? So, yeah, you've put all the building blocks in. You've done everything you need to do to get to this point. Today, all we're going to do is exactly what we're going to do. We're just going to go way faster all the time, everywhere. And when that aggression level came up, he was in charge of the sand. The, he was riding aggressively, blowing through the bumps rather than getting kicked by the bumps, hitting his marks, really focused. And it was one of the most fun days I've had in teaching because the, the, the guy just wouldn't stop smiling the entire time. <laughs> but we had to kind of respect the process of, of what it took to get to that. Um, and sand in particular, like, man, riding slowly and carefully through sand is so hard. Like if I'm riding behind a, a beginner rider down a sandy trail going maybe half the speed I would like to, I'm having to work so much harder than I would be at a, at a, at a decent pace. Mm. Um, the analogy we use is it's like, uh, imagine like a boat that's stuck inside the five knot barrier. You know, it's sitting way down in the, in the water it's not efficient. It's having to correct, 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 push against all this water. You go past the five knot barrier where you're allowed to get on the on the plane, give it a big handful, boat pops up out of the water, efficient, off we go. Right. Uh, sand and motorbikes is exactly the same. So with this, what if things go wrong? So in other words, you, you look at it and you say, okay, I can do it. What if things go wrong? What if it doesn't turn out? That hill you were on, what if you didn't hit that rock the way you wanted to first, or you hit the rock and it moved. You thought it was a big solid rock and it wasn't. What happens? Bad things. <laughs> well, there's no way to, uh, to, to beat around the bush. Like, you know, there is an element of risk in riding motorcycles off road. And if you're going to lift your aggression and try harder and go faster, then obviously that element of risk will increase with it. And there's no point in trying to pretend that what we do doesn't have a, a level of risk associated with it. Yeah. I, I like I, that. I find that. Don't pull any punches on this. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that quite, uh, uh, it's a, it's a troubling one. Sometimes when you get guys like, Oh, I'm just so worried about getting hurt. Like, dude, I don't want to get hurt either. But if you're worried about it, like, is this really for you? Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's almost like, like watching the rock come up that you don't want to hit on the trail. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Actually my, the, my my mum's a shocker for this as well. I still get to ride bikes with my mum a bit. And, uh, you know, the whole thing of you, you go wherever you look. Mm -hmm. uh, if you having if mum's having a good day, she looks all the way down the trail, looks through her turns, looks to where she wants to go. If she's not feeling good, if the confidence is not there, she'll just start looking for potential problems. She'll look for it. She'll, oh, there's a big hole. Oh, there's a big tree stump. Oh, there's a slippery rock. And she just starts bouncing and crashing off everything. So we stop like, hey, 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 you know, you're doing it again. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what is it with her? Like you said yourself, I mean, it was your, your vision, your grip and your, your breathing. What is it with her? My, for mum, it's, uh, it's vision is everything for her. Uh, yeah. She, if she's not feeling confident, she looks for the things that could go wrong. Uh, and, and then you just end up finding them. <laughs> and, you know, again, master of your own destiny. If you look at that tree and go, ooh, that's a big slippery tree root, then yeah, you're right, it is. Right. Then you go. It's a good uh, expression, a good sort of saying for, for racing is you need to look where you're heading, not at what you're heading. Right. Well, when you said vision, and I want to ask you that, and I forgot, when you said vision, is that what it is? It's what you're looking at? That's what was wrong with your vision? Uh, yeah, what what you're looking at, where uh, the your focal distance, that sort of thing. For me, normally it's, I end up just looking too close, looking to uh, not giving myself the, the lead time that I need to. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really super easy thing to say. And it's a real like coaching cliche. You, oh, you, eyes up, look where you want to go. 
the easiest thing in the world to say in reality, actually really hard to execute uh, consistently. Yeah. Like turning around for, for new riders when they're turning, doing a slow turn to try and look where they're yeah. supposed to be going rather than in front of that front wheel. Yeah. yeah. You're really drawn. Well, I, I struggle with it a lot on the road. Uh, you know, having to look all the way through a big turn. Uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate uh, for the last few months. We've been really close to the Pyrenees Mountains. Mm-hmm. And, oh, dude, the best road riding I've ever done in my life. Oh, really? Uh, just And just having to turn my head and look all the way through the corner, look so far ahead. The dirt bike room is like, oh, but what if there's a tree stump? What if there's something in the way? I'm like, no, there isn't. You're on the road. Just look, 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 look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, and, it's just traffic. That's all you have to worry about. Yeah, and, Honestly, like up in some of those roads, like you could go for like an hour without seeing a car. What bike are you riding when you're doing that? I was on my 1290. Oh, um, KTM's 1290. Yeah. Oh, I knew you were on 1290 Super Adventure R. Yeah. Right. When I was asking you, so if something goes wrong, what happens? Do you often have a bailout? Like, do you look at your sort of approach and say, I know I can do this route, but if that doesn't work, I can always glance off this or that would be my approach. Do you do that? Yeah. So in terms of like a, like a big hill or a big, a big move or something like that, that's something I am considering as well. So we come back to like doing this, this photo shoot thing with KTM. There was a couple of lines that I looked at, I'm like, Ooh, that'd look really cool. What's the bailout? Like, Ooh, Ooh, no, the, the bailout's really ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the pressure with doing these photo shoots as well. It's like, it's a pre-production bike. There's only one of these things there. Oh, there I was going to no ask you if parts. you had a few of them to, yeah. to try, if you, if you trash no, it. No, no. Just one. Wow, and it's, it's funny. We always get these, uh, you know, like you get these YouTube commenters and it's like, oh, I'd do that if I had a factory mechanic and a band full of parts to scrape me up. <laughs> it's just not the case at all. We had one bike, zero spare parts, because they just do not exist. And, uh, yeah, after I was finished, they had to do a whole bunch of static stuff with another guy. So there was there was no uh, – smashing the bike was not an option, and it, and it never is. So a bailout's important then? Bailouts are important, yeah, especially, uh, you know, when you're trying to practice and learn and, you know, you need to have that plan B. The other thing that we always talk about as well, though, especially in, in, like, in the real world of riding the trail, that sort of thing, you know, people ask often ask, you know, what is plan B? Well, plan B is always more effort at plan A. So if plan A is riding around the corner, you come into the turn a little bit too hot, maybe the front starts to wash or something. No matter what happens, nothing's better than going around the turn. So right. I always say to the guys, like, like pl- what's plan B? Plan B is just try way harder on plan A. Like, give it everything you got. There's no better outcome than going around the corner. Wait, I think we like, talked about this before. I don't understand how you can try hard if you were doing your best the first time. Nah, there's always a bit more there. Oh. Fear, is, fear, fear is a great motivator. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, I guess if you have nothing else to lose, you know, you can. And, and also, like, in terms of adventure riding, right? Like, if you're riding down an unknown trail, a public access unknown trail at 100% aggression, 100% commitment, that's not smart. Yeah, yeah. But that is not what we're supposed to be doing. But yeah, and that's not what no. we're talking about with aggressive rider here. And you said no, that right at the at start. That, that's not what we're talking about. So there is always more in the tank. There damn well should be. If there isn't, you need to slow down. Mm. Uh, yeah. And even for me, like, you know, doing these photo shoots and that sort of stuff, I'm never pushing it more than about sort of 80, 90% sort of thing because to hell with that. I need to have something in reserve. Right. Do you always ride at that? 80, for, 90%? That, that's, that's your ride? About that, yeah. So when uh, that sort of comes back to the, like, you know, I'm not doing that much racing these days, but back in the racing days, the short sprint races where you, the guys were able to turn it up to 100, 110, that wasn't me. Uh, yeah. The longer races where you have to be more tactical, more efficient, and about 90% sort of thing is about as flat out as you ever really want to go. That, that was for me. And I think that's a big part of what's allowed me to uh, transition from from enduro racing into adventure bike riding quite successfully, you know, that that ability to kind of just, yeah, ride within my means. Mm-hmm. How about riding position? How do we change our riding position to help become more of an aggressive rider? Yeah, so we, uh, in terms of like off-road, enduro, t- uh, motocross coaching, that sort of thing, the the attack position is a really common phrase. And it's totally correct. You know, it's, it's a really good aggressive attack riding position. And you think of a motocross rider, yeah, 100%. He wants to attack that trail. 
Um, if you come to a writing school, for, for, uh, one of my schools, you'll never hear me use the term attack position because I teach adventure riders and trail riders and people that don't necessarily want to go and attack anything. They just want to have a nice day out on their bikes and ride some cool trails, maybe a bit quicker than what they're used to. They're not really out to attack. So we just call it the good riding position. So this is just nomenclature though. I mean, it's, is it, is it the same thing? It is the exact same thing. Okay. But if I, I've found, you know, with, with teaching people, if I say, yeah, this is the attack position you can see in people's faces, not interested, not listening. This is too much. This is not what I came for. Mm-hmm. If you call it the good riding position. Oh yeah. I, I, I want to ride good. Let, let's tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> but that position definitely does look much more aggressive. Um, you know, you've got your elbows flared, you, you know, you've got a good low triangle, you're bending through your hips, you know, you, you look like you're ready to, to go. And that could be translated or looked at as being more aggressive and looking more aggressive. Um, and if that's what you're doing, if that's what triggers it for you, yeah, I want to ride aggressively. And that's what gets you into that good, strong position. Then happy times ride aggressively. Can you break it down? So give the exact, you know, riding position that you're talking about, sort of maybe starting at the feet and going up. And and before you do, talk, <laughs> talk is, is it too much? It takes me about an, it takes me about an hour and if people can look at me. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll try and brush over it a little bit quicker. But, right, but, but before that, Chris, it. hang on. I want, you to, I want you to talk about standing or sitting. Is the good riding position, aka attack position, standing or sitting? We're going to take just a very quick break while I tell you about two things. When we come back, we got a lot more to talk about with Chris, including some tips and tricks on how you can go and become a more aggressive rider without going too far. Stay with us. The other day I was working on my bike and I had to head into town. It was a beautiful day. So the bike was the choice, of course. I had this list of things that I had to get while I was in town. And it wasn't until I got down the road that it suddenly struck me I'd forgot to put something back on the bike that I'd taken off while I was doing the work. Then I made a detour on this road and then I made another detour and, well, more of them. And this is me getting sidetracked. It happens a lot. It's a real problem I have. But I ended up out for much longer than I planned But as I rode, I found myself getting a little frustrated with this one tiny little thing I forgot to put back on my bike. I didn't think it was a big deal. But then I realized just how much I enjoyed using it. It was my Atlas Throttle Lock. This tiny piece of beautifully crafted mechanism that sits so unobtrusively on my handlebar had become such a regularly used item that I actually forgot how much I'm using it until it wasn't there. I can't tell you how many times I reached out with my thumb expecting that firm positive feedback of the engage button when I I wanted a break for my wrist. But the other thing that I noticed it became very apparent that day was how much I use it to give my hand a rest so that I'm not gripping the throttle all the time, that, that squeeze action that you have. So when I, when I engage the Atlas throttle lock, I can sort of relax my hand, even if I'm keeping it in that same position, even if I'm not like from the outside, you wouldn't know any difference. It makes a big difference. I must've made 20 mental notes to make sure that when I get home, I get my Atlas throttle lock back on. This little device will change the way you ride. Have a look at it. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. You know, there's so many products that look the part, feel the part, but when you, you get them home, the cheapness, you know, starts to seep out. You've had them. Parts fall off and break and the performance is not there. Why is that, you ask? You know the answer. Because the company's all about selling and that's it. They have no skin in the game, so to speak. So when I say IMS Products makes incredible foot pegs for us adventure riders, that is what I mean. IMS Products has been around since 1976 and the whole time they produce top-notch products and get better all the time, of course, because they use everything they've learned up until now on the product they're making for tomorrow. IMS Products is on almost every podium finisher's motorcycle in off-road racing, and there's a reason for that. It's quality. IMS Products foot pegs are designed specifically for adventure riders. They're made in the USA. They have a lifetime warranty. You can't beat that. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. I want you to talk about standing or sitting. Is the good riding position, aka attack position, standing or sitting? It's both. It's both. Yeah. And uh, this is, again, something we talk about a lot. And it's, it's an interesting one. 
my take on it, this is just, I don't know, this is not, please don't take this as the gospel. It seems like in the adventure community, there's an understanding that you have to stand up as soon as things get rough and as soon as the trail gets difficult. And if you're riding aggressively, you know, you must be standing up. And it's really not always true. Uh, there's definitely times where you're more stable and more in control sitting down. And there's times where you're more stable and more in control standing up. And I always try and teach people how a good, strong, aggressive seated position, a good, strong standing uh, position, and seated corner techniques, standing corner techniques, so we can kind of become like a good all-round rider rather than just go, hey, I'm a stand-up rider. Mm. Um, And I think as bike designs have changed, adventure bike designs have changed over the past sort of 20, 15 years, that more sit-down riding styles become more and more uh, possible and more effective just because of where we can actually sit on the bikes. And that's what you've said before, is the reason we're standing is because we can't get forward on the bike. Yeah, and uh, people should go back and listen to that uh, episode we did with Mark, the rocket scientist. Like, I I got a lot out of that. You know, that whole um, double pendulum versus single pendulum with sitting down, standing up. Like that, as he was explaining that, I was like, oh, this is it. This is exactly yeah. what's going on. It was That was a real light bulb moment for me. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, but again, coming back to this episode and trying to ride aggressively, there's a big difference between like a, a good, strong, aggressive seated position and an on tired sitting down, I've give, I can't stand up anymore position. Okay, and what's what's the difference? Um, so I imagine like a, an I'm tired, I can't stand anymore seated position is probably similar to what most people are listening right now are doing. <laughs> sitting on the couch, I sitting in the up. car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry, I'm slouched out too. Uh, you know, like hips rolled backwards, rolled through your spine, elbows dropped, not really alert, not really ready to go. So for your seated position, uh, obviously we're sitting up a, a lot taller. We're rolling the hips forwards more. So you're trying to, you're basically trying to rotate your hips, your pelvis forwards more. So you've got a slight forwards tilt through your pelvis to engage your core strength and really just give you that good, strong posture. So you can kind of feel like if you roll your hips back, you're going to slouch, your core strength is going to be reduced and you're kind of going to take it all into your lower back. If you rotate your hips forwards and kind of pull your stomach in a bit more, that engages that core, engages your lower back. It's just good human posture. Mm-hmm. And that's going to give you so much more stability for your shoulders. And, you know, your shoulders are what keeps your head in the right place. And then from there, elbows nice and wide. So we're trying to make like a box shape. So from your shoulder, elbow, wrist, finger, down onto the bar is all one straight plane. And you've got like a big box shape going through your, uh, through your elbows, through your, through your arms. That gives you so much more stability. And obviously, you know, you, you got your chin up, looking ahead, down your trail, that sort of thing. Um, toes up onto your foot pegs, not your feet not sticking outside like a duck. Um, you know, in a good, alert, strong, aggressive, that word again, uh, seated position. And that gives you so much more control over your bike and your body compared to a less aggressive, flopping to the seat. <sighs> I'm tired <laughs> position. What? Don't get me wrong. I'm 100% using that one as well, but that's more along the big, long road sections, the smooth gravel. There's a plenty of that going on in my day as well, but it's not when I'm trying to ride my bike aggressively. Right. So what about the neck and the head? The neck and the head. So really important that we're not, uh, a mistake a lot of guys will try and do is they, for whatever reason, you try and stick your head too far forwards. So like literally, if, if you sit, again, sitting here on your chair, your ears should be pretty much in line with your shoulders is a good way to do it. If you're pushing your head forwards, so your ears in front of your shoulders, that's going to give you a lot of neck pain. It's going to give you rounding through your upper back and steal your stability. So again, basic human posture, the stuff we all know we're supposed to do, but we don't. Trying to pull that head back so that your ears are over your shoulders. And then obviously, you know, chin up, eyes up, looking down your trail. So that's sitting in an aggressive position. What's the difference with standing? What, what do we change? Um, fundamentally, we don't actually change that much. The less you have to change, the better your standing position and the better your seated position will be. So imagine that there's a huge difference between your seated position and your standing position, massive, great big movement. 
then probably one or the other is, is not that correct. And the way to simplify it, if you've got a really good seated position, the way to get into your standing position is basically just to pull your knees backwards so your shins get to be vertical. And you, the actual lift, the stand, uh, is, is reduced as much as possible. So if you're in that seated position and you go, when you're sitting on your bike, your, your knees will be a long way forwards. They'll be up sort of, you know, around the radiators. You pull those knees back until they're basically over the foot pegs, stick your butt out the back more, and you kind of, you're pivoting your hips and your butt and your knees back. And that puts you into that standing position. Like I said, that takes me about an hour to explain in a two-day school. Well, I don't know um, why you're so slow. You were fast here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's glancing over the top of it for sure. Well, I know, and I, but I like the way you explain it because you're, you're making it sound really kind of simple. Like, you, you know, basic posture and elbows up. Uh, it, it makes it really easy to understand. And really practicing for people practicing at home, you can do this in your seat watching TV. I mean, I was just doing it as with you as you're, as you're walking me through it. Yeah. And the other, you can do it on your bike in the garage on the center stand. Mm, yeah. Even better. So being the aggressive rider or riding more aggressively, that's yeah. mind and body. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So we have to the right mindset. We obviously need the right stance on our bike, not the floppy stance that you were talking about. We've got to be in the, in yeah. the right, in that attack or good riding position. And I think a good way to describe it, we're like the body position, the uh, the body side of it is what allows the mindset to be okay. If you go mindset, then body, it's probably not going to work so great. Mm. It's kind of like that exercise where, you know, if you force yourself to smile and you look in the mirror and you force yourself to smile, that you actually feel good. You know, so yeah. it's sort of like yeah. almost like you're setting yourself up for, for yep. proper riding. A hundred percent. Like, you know, your, your mind is so powerful. Eh? Like I remember doing this, uh, a really good one years ago. Um, I, I was never a motocross rider. I, it's not for me. Um, but I understood the, uh, the value of getting motocross coaching and just working on that, on that side of my riding, uh, even though I was never going to do any real racing. Um, and I remember going to this motocross school and the guy was, we were, we were practicing starts and, the guy was like, right, you're going to race me. And he was one of the top guys in the country at this point. And he's like, right, I want you to all sit on the line and I want you to close your eyes and visualize going around this corner first. Like you are going to destroy me. You're going to absolutely blast me on this turn. And we had a pretty good goal. Obviously he did still beat us because he was the top guy in the country at that time, but it was pr surprisingly close. Oh, wow. And then right, line up again. He's like, right, I want you guys to imagine this going wrong. Like, you're going to miss the jump. You're going to be a bit slow in re your actions. Your shift's not going to be that great. Just have a think about that. And, dude, he smashed us by all, the whole class, by bike lengths. Really? Like, I would have only, I was only a teenager at this point, but it was like, wow, really, I never, ever forgot it. It was like, you're 100%, like, in ch you know, you're the master of your own destiny, you know? Yeah, I've read about this. They do this with the Olympics. They, they spend a lot of time doing this practicing in the mind, yeah. seeing themselves doing yeah. it over and over and over, even developing. They're saying now that they've actually tested the muscles and say that when you're imagining things, the same um, nerve endings are firing the same as if you're actually doing whatever it is that you're, you're thinking. Absolutely. About. So that's incredible. Yeah. That means you're building muscle memory. hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, I've just, one of my favorite races in the world was a race called uh, Red Bull Romaniacs. Uh, it's this crazy hard enduro race and uh, five day hard enduro race in Romania and I raced it many many times but I hadn't done it for seven years and I, I just got the chance to go back and do it again and the first day is a it's a man-made obstacle course race uh, called the prologue and they make all these crazy crazy obstacles that we have to race through uh, in the middle of the city and it's can be really dangerous um, and a lot of guys you know they train for months and months and months to go and do this multi-day race and they smoke themselves in the pro in the prologue um, so what I do to get myself through that is I go through with an iPad and I walk the track and I take a photo of every single obstacle, uh, the, the whole track, and then I go back to my hotel room and I sit there and I just get, flick through all these different images on the, on the iPad, spotting my lines, focusing, and I'm, I'm basically trying to practice it all in my head because there's 700 riders in this event now. There's no time to practice. The first time you go down that track is your first race run. So for me, 
I'd already practiced it probably a hundred times in my head by the time I actually let the clutch out. You're executing on a plan rather than going, oh, I hope this works. Same thing as coming back to that uh, that big cliff on the 890 with a photo shoot. Yeah, you're executing a plan, not standing up there going, I hope this works. I'm going to look really stupid if it doesn't. <laughs> You've already decided it's going to work. Um, for, for years, I was a, a Red Bull athlete. And we one year they had this Red Bull, New Zealand, Red Bull New Zealand Athlete Summit where they got all the different athletes from all the different sports all in one place all at one time um, for three or four days. And they had this one guy come in uh, to talk about, you know, mental focus and visualization or, and all this sort of stuff. And basically, you know, talking about what we've been talking about now. Mm-hmm. And he did like an hour, a basic sort of hour seminar and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, at the end of it, uh, the guy had left and the, the athlete manager guy from Red Bull was like, so did you guys find that beneficial? And a lot of guys were like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I put my hand up and said, honestly, man, I think that was about, that was a waste of time. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I don't think anybody here would make, even make it into this room if they weren't already doing all of what he talked about. So <laughs> like, there's no way you get to the point of being a Red Bull athlete if you don't have basic visualization skills. Right. Yeah, and everyone just started laughing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there was not really any new information there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if they think about it, they already know it. I, that's why I was wondering, yeah. when you're walking around with your iPad, is there a whole group? I mean, you said 700 riders. That's ridiculous. Are, are there a whole bunch of people doing the same thing? No, not really. Then you just no. gave away your secret. Yeah, but, you know, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> so what, are other people using different methods then, I guess? Yeah, lots of people will walk it and just try it. And you'll see guys like closing their eyes and trying to like, it's this obstacle, it's this obstacle, it's this obstacle. Um, yeah, I just found it worked better with with my iPad. And what really clicked me onto it, uh, onto, onto doing that was many years ago, uh, my daughter was there. We, my daughter was only three. She came to the race with us and she had her iPad in her backpack. I was like, oh, oh, that'll work. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, kind of stumbled across it. So how'd you do? Um. So this year was the first year I raced silver class. So in, in Romaniacs, there's five different classes. And so gold is the, is the hardest class. And it's like the world championship guys, fully professional hard enduro races. Um, and I, I've done that eight times in the past. Um, but I haven't been to this race for seven years. So I thought it'd be really nice to ride silver class, which is an, an easier track, not quite as extreme. Um, but I ended up racing on the KTM 500, which for a lot of, I'm sure a lot of guys on this uh, podcast will be very, very familiar with that 500. You know, that's quite an incredible bike. You know, you've got guys like Aaron Steinman that have ridden this thing all the way around the world, right. you know, hundreds of thousands of kilometers. The EXC. And I, the EXC, yeah. yeah. And I was racing a basically stock one in the, in silver class in Red Bull Romaniacs. And the plan in my head was just to go back and, you know, I was already in Europe. I just wanted to go back and visit this awesome race and all the friends that I've made through this race and, and hard enduro racing were back in the days I haven't seen for so long and just go and have a really good time. So I really was not bothered or not stressed about uh, about my result at all until the end of day one when I was second overall in silver. <laughs> I went, oh, okay, all right. Now you got to work. New, yeah, new plan. <laughs> Let, <laughs> let's go. But it, it was very, very fun. It was, it was a great experience and uh, really uh, interesting riding the 500. In the past, I've only ever done it on a, a 300 two-stroke, which is kind of the the bike for that event. I think uh, I was the only 500 in the event and the only four-stroke in silver class. Oh, is that right? Everybody else. Did, yeah, did yeah. you place in this? Uh, yeah, I ended up coming. Uh, oh, I, sorry, I, I won uh, won the silver class. Oh, you won the silver class. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, hell, that's so. Yeah, the five hundred. That's got to be like in comparison to the other bikes you've ridden. That's got to be kind of slow and heavy. Or is that not the case? It's different. It's just it's very different. Uh, It's definitely heavier, and it it feels a lot heavier to kind of manage. And then the the really tight technical stuff. Um, It's got a lot of power, a huge amount of. The big thing is it's got such a huge amount of torque. Uh, Yeah, an unbelievable amount of torque. Um, so in the prologue race, um, uh, we start the start line is you at your front wheel up against about a what would it be a two foot high log, and so you got from a standing start launch over this log, and then there's several bike lengths, and then another a big double a log that you got to double and jump, 
And uh, I was watching all the all the pro guys, the gold class guys. They were all launching in second, then having to shift to third gear before this next obstacle. And I was looking and go, I reckon the 500 will launch that just fine in third gear. So <laughs> standing start over a log in third gear and then no need to shift before the next obstacle. And of course, whilst everyone else was changing gears, I was still on the gas and uh, yeah, got the lead from there. Hey, how do you know? Because we're, we're talking about, you know, you come up to something and you either know if you're going to do it or you, or you don't. And sometimes when someone gets into something and they're fairly new at it, they don't really see the whole picture. How do you know if you don't know enough? Ooh, that's a tricky one, isn't that? Yeah, I guess it's a very personal thing. So for some, depending on your personality, right? Like for a lot of guys, if it's anything less than 100, nope, not keen, not into it. And that's absolutely fine. Totally respect that. And then you're going to have other guys like, yeah, I'm about 75% of this one. Yeah, cool. Close enough. Let's go. Uh, And I think that's, yeah, that's not a right or wrong sort of a thing. It depends on your personality and, uh, you know, what, how how you look at motorcycle riding. Was that the answer you wanted? <laughs> uh, not really. No, I, I didn't know what the answer was, actually. I think okay. it's an interesting question because it's a difficult thing. Like often when you talk to someone who's new at something, and we all make this mistake. So you go into something, you learn a little bit about it. Maybe you learn a fair bit about it and you think, all right, I know this. I've got this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. you don't know enough to realize how little you know. And, and I think yeah. that's what's it. And I think with riding, it can be a real danger because people get an adventure bike and they think, okay, knobby tires, great traction, lots of power. Um, yeah, I got this. You know, I've ridden a street bike yeah, for years yeah. or whatever. But how do you know enough? You know, like you get to a situation where you, you have to do something tricky, a gulch you have to go through, a river you have to cross, a hill you have to climb. How do you know if, if you've got there and you really don't have the background to assess this properly? Oh, that's a tricky one to answer, Jim. And again, because you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. And the more you get into it, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, like, you know, I've been riding motorbikes my entire life and I'm still trying to figure stuff out. And that's what makes the sport so interesting and so much fun and probably why I'm still doing it now, uh, you know. Can I suggest something? Please. What I'm thinking, I'm wondering if it's, (laughs) if, if you get to a, for the, to the obstacle and you don't see your clear line and understand fully why you're doing it, why you've chosen that line, then you probably wouldn't have the background knowledge to be doing it. Would that make sense? That's that's probably true. Yeah. You could definitely, uh, I would agree with that. The other thing as well is that you might not be able to see it straight away, but in adventure riding, we're not racing. So there's no rush, you know, mm-hmm. stop, walk around, walk up the hill, check it out, figure it out. Maybe kick a few rocks around, uh, you know, pack a few bits of dirt here and there and, and, and make it work. You get to the point where you are happy with it. Um, yeah, especially on big adventure bikes though. You know, if you're out by yourself, all loaded up, that sort of thing, you know, there's a difference between riding aggress- aggressively and, uh, you know, good determination and taking unnecessary risks in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm regularly getting off, especially if I'm riding by myself, I'm regularly getting off my bike and, uh, you know, having a, a quick recce on foot and maybe, you know, kick a couple of rocks around. Just from a, you know, I don't want to drag a 1290 out of a hole or out of a rut by myself. It's not that much fun. <laughs> no. Now I, I want to ask you about some personal practice exercises, get you to give us something that people can go off and, and practice of their own to become more of an aggressive rider. Before I do that, do you have maybe two or three tips for the aggressive rider something that they can keep in their head? Some basics. Um, I think a, a good one we always come back to is like, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. So, if you're looking at a, a ditch, a drain, a log or something like that, and you're, I don't think I can do this, but I'm just going to have to give it a try because this is where the trail is going, you're probably not going to do it very well. Makes sense. Um, yeah. And I think another good advice would be, be like, time your aggression effectively. So, for example, you know, coming back to the same situation where there's, there's a big log on the trail or a big obstacle on the trail, you're going to have to be really aggressive to get this right. But first, take your time, make your plan, figure it out, 
and then aggressively with 100% commitment execute your plan. If if you rush the planning phase of it and you just come into it with just aggression straight away, you're probably going to get what you asked for, mm. uh, a, a big mess. So, yeah, learning when is the right time for 100% complete aggression is, is a really important skill. You've sort of talked about this before, but when you, you mention it often, actually, when you talk about routes, you say you look at a route and you'll say, okay, I can get some traction on that rock there. So when you're saying aggression, it's not like just getting on the throttle and holding on and that's your line. It's you're choosing your spots often from what you're saying to get traction. In other words, in other words you'll go into this, but you're going to crack the throttle here because you know you're going to get some traction, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, aggression's one side, but it's effort as well. Like, okay, this rock here, this is a point where it's, really important effort, big effort here. Mm. And I'm going to generate that momentum and that's going to carry me to that next point up there, which is really key issue, really key point. There's another good point to be aggressive, be on, be on form. Keep like almost like finding your, your, your stepping stones through this obstacle. I've got to get that bit nailed. Then I've got to get that bit nailed. Got to get that bit nailed. Mm -hmm. And really aggressively working to make sure that those key points are, are executed to the best of your ability. Okay. Anything else? Um, like, let's go back to that gym analogy, uh, the gymnasium analogy, not the, the you analogy, <laughs> uh, of stacking plates. You know, like if you're going to increase and think, right, I want to increase my aggression on the trail, increase my aggression in my riding, take it up one notch at a time. You know, just try a little bit harder on that turn. Just maybe just try breaking two meters later than what you normally would do. Okay, that was all right. Go back, do that same corner again. Right, let's just try breaking another meter later. You don't just come into it, right, I'm going to go around this corner faster than I've ever got in my entire life. Wow, let's go! <laughs> because that is not going to end well. So, yeah, slowly bringing up that level of aggression over time and uh, doing it in a safe, methodical, intelligent manner, I think is really important. Okay, so uh, personal practice. How can people go out and build their skills to become more of an aggressive rider. So obviously there's a, a million different things we can do to increase our skills, but mm -hmm. trying to focus it on becoming a more aggressive rider, I think uh, really a good, good drill to start off with is just working on braking. So set yourself up on a, a nice, quiet gravel area where you don't have to worry about anybody else. And give yourself a, a big mark or some cones or like a big, you know, do a big skid mark. Something you have to try and stop before, a line to stop in front of. And then just go, go, go down back, get some run up at it, break for it. Yeah, okay, I braked quite happily for that. And then you just keep bringing that braking point closer and closer and closer. And that will make you brake more aggressively. And again, you're doing it in a really safe way. If you overdo it, you're just going to blow past this line. Who really cares? But that breaking is a really good way, first skill, sorry, that breaking is a really good first skill to increase your aggression on the trail, getting more aggressively on the brakes. Okay, now hang on. You're talking uh, ABS off, right? Uh, ABS off or ABS in off-road mode. Okay. So in, most of the modern uh, adventure bikes now have off-road ABS, and it's really, really good. And there is absolutely no need to turn it off. The only reason, only time I turn my ABS off these days is to do stoppies for photos. Oh, wow. Okay. Any actual riding uh, of the bike is real world stuff. ABS is on the whole time. Wow. That's neat. That, that is incredible. My, but my bike doesn't have the off-road mode. It only has ABS on or off and it's useless off-road. Yeah. The old systems were terrible. The, the off-road ABS that you're running, what does it do? Do you, do you have, uh, like, can you lock up the rear wheel and not the front? Is that how it changes it? Yeah, so it's single-channel ABS. So it gives you complete autonomy, 100% control for the rear, so no ABS on the rear. And it gives you much more dig or slip in the front than, uh, say, like a street ABS setup. So it, it no, uh, it's the computer or however, the, the clever electronic stuff that I don't understand is um, monitoring how quickly the front wheel is slowing down. And then if it goes outside of that value, you're like, hey, hey, the only way it could have slowed down that quickly is if it had locked and it will uh, engage the ABS from there. 
Right. So you're, so when you uh, say dig, like it, it helps you dig the front end. In other words, you wanted some aggressive stopping in, I don't know, like sand. You want to really get on the, on sand the front gravel. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll dig yeah. right into the gravel rather than before it would just sort of skip along. It was a nightmare. Yeah. Like mine is. So, I, I, yeah, yeah. And it, it works really good. So a good story with this, um, uh, during COVID times, I got sent, uh, the new 890R to do a, a launch video for that in New Zealand. Cause it was one of the few countries that you could actually, we had freedom to ride in and, and to operate. So the KD factory sent the, uh, the 890R down to, to me in New Zealand to do the launch video for, which was quite an honor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I jumped on the bike, all excited, went out and threw it down the road, down the trail within about the first 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> No one had told me that they'd changed the the values for the front off-road ABS settings. And where I expected the ABS to engage and to fix, it didn't. And I actually ended up losing the front and oh. uh, slid down the trail. Luckily, it was a really soft, gentle trail. We didn't do any damage whatsoever. I'm like, oh, you dork. Like, there's only one of these outside of Austria. They've sent it to you. And the first thing you do is send it down the trail. What a loser. <laughs> uh, was that on video? But, you know, it, it was on video. We did. I was, I think I've paid my man enough never to release it. <laughs> but, uh, right. but uh, yeah, went back to the factory show and I'm like, oh, what have you guys done with the front ABS? Oh, yes, we changed the value to make it much more aggressive. I'm like, I think you might need to dial it back a bit, boys. This is a bit much. And then actually for the production bike, they uh, they did dial it back to something closer to what it was before. Oh, really? So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they would have sent that it out like my- that. Yeah, yeah, so that was that was my input to my uh, my input to the eight ninety R setup. So if you like the eight ninety R off road ABS, you're welcome. Wow, very nice. What? <laughs> <laughs> Why braking first? Um, because it's going to uh, obviously the, the safety side of it as well, right? Like you know, if you're going to try and increase your aggression, that's probably going to increase your speed. So why not have some extra braking skills in the back? Perfect. Okay, There's that right. safety side of it as well. Right. But braking aggressively it feels real good and it gives you quite a nice uh, release of adrenaline. It's going to make you feel pretty cool. You know, it's, it feels great to like really get on the anchors and try a lot harder than you were previously. Mm-hmm. And that's going to give you a really good feeling and make you want to continue down this path of riding a bit more aggressively, a bit more purposefully. So I think that's a really good one to start off with. And, uh, you know, coming back to like the coaching racer guys you know, if someone says to me hey i want to learn how to ride faster one of the things we'll always focus on really early on is uh is braking um it's the safest way to improve your speed down the trail and it's a great way to kind of yeah build a really good positive feeling so after braking is there another step there yeah uh i would work on cornering corner speed because again nothing's better than going around the corners uh faster or uh, i i think for me the thing i enjoy the absolute most on my adventure bike is cornering uh there's no for me there's no better feeling than absolutely just just greasing a corner perfectly are you you're talking dirt in, in the off-road yeah in the yeah. dirt yeah i'm still working i'm the, the road riding still a process right i'm still on a journey there right. yeah. <laughs> when we're getting there yeah uh, the knee is not down let's put it that way um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and just basically just same process as what we talked about with the braking, just in, find a, a really safe corner where you've got some runoff, where you've got really good vision. You can see someone coming a mile away if someone's coming the other way. To find yourself the right safe setup and just try and go around it a little bit faster. Like, okay, go around the corner. Maybe you're happy going around that corner at 20 kilometers an hour. Cool. Do that a few times. Get that feeling, get that confidence. We're happy with this one. Try going around at 25 kilometers an hour. Well, that was okay. Stack another plate. Let's try going around at 30 kilometers an hour. And as you're doing this, you're going to put more effort and more aggression into your riding position, into your body position, into your technique. So it's not so much that we're trying to lift the speed and just, yeah, just go faster. But the extra speed is going to, you know, consciously or subconsciously make you put more aggression more commitment into your riding and allow you to just to, to lift that level. Okay. So breaking cornering. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll leave it there or is there, is there something else? I mean, you could simplify it just by just saying, just try harder. Try all around. Uh, yeah. Just try harder. Mm-hmm. Like, 
what don't be afraid to give it some more don't be afraid to you know exaggerate what you do try more <laughs> uh, and it's interesting that that's in my head because uh, there's a, a guy I follow for uh, for cycling tips and there, he just did a video on, on climbing techniques and getting fitter for the climbs and the last one the big one he said is up and just remember the best way to get fitter and stronger on the climbs is just to try harder like just go out on the trail and try to ride up the hill faster. Basic advice, <laughs> yeah. but makes sense. Yeah, but again, like you, you can really you can start to overcomplicate things. You can start to overthink things. Like trying harder works really good too. Right. Well, Chris, I, I think I can hear your jet in the background getting ready to go. So I I guess I should let you go. You have fun in America. We're going to put that link in the show notes to the, at least the opportunities that are available still with some of the places you'll be teaching in the U S and yeah, you have a great time. We'll probably talk to you when you get back. Well, thank you. It's always good talking with you, Jim. Chris Birch from Say No to Slow. Now, I've told you before about Chris's video teaching series, which I highly recommend. They've been moved to a new platform, so they're available directly from his website, saynotoslow.nz. Well worth having a look at. Now, we've got those links and some photos of Chris doing incredible things using aggressive riding techniques with an adventure bike, all in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Also, we've got the links in there to the episode that Chris mentioned about Chris and Mark, Mark, the rocket scientist guy, talking about what really happens when we ride. That's well worth listening to, taking your time maybe and listening to it a couple of times to really grasp everything that he's saying about the physics behind riding a motorcycle. All in the show notes on adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it and I hope you get lots from what Chris said because there's so much in there I mean listen to it again if you have to to pick out what he's saying because there's some key words in there I think that seem to stick in my head that uh, are are really going to help me with riding anyway time to get out there and ride your bike if you can but before you do before you go out there and jump on your bike please drop by anywhere you find podcasts maybe iTunes and give us a five star rating it helps other people find the show and the other thing I would ask if you're not doing it already check out the ways that you can support Adventure Rider Radio. Adventure Rider Radio is designed to have advertisers and listener support. We need your support. AdventureRiderRadio.com is a website. Click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout on our Raw show. And now that I've just mentioned Raw, we have another Raw show coming out, I think in, in just a days away or maybe a week away from this. It comes out every month. It's a different show. You need to subscribe separately. Just search for Adventure Rider Radio which, where you get your podcasts. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. My name is Jim Martin, and I will talk to you next week. Simon Pavey here calling to you from uh, sunny Wales and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 